Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Tiffany Meyer and here are today's top stories. Maine and Canada are bracing for Hurricane Lee. The storm is moving toward the east coast and is expected to make landfall as soon as tomorrow. Over 10,000 auto workers are on strike. It's the largest strike ever against Detroit automakers. The self-declared most pro-union U.S. president ever weighing in today. Newly unsealed court records show that former President Donald Trump's private direct Twitter messengers were handed to special counsel Jack Smith as part of the federal elections case. Meanwhile, Smith is asking for a gag order against Trump in that case. Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on a collision course at the same event. We'll hear from voters to find out which candidate will get their vote. Texas AG Ken Paxton's future is in the hands of a Senate jury that is now deliberating. They only need to convict him on one article of impeachment to remove him from office. The immigration crisis reaches a boiling point in New York City. Lawmakers try to offer solutions as they're confronted with frustrated protesters. In Michigan, a jury acquitted three men in connection to Governor Gretchen Whitmer's kidnapping plot. They're the last of a group of 14 defendants. Maine and Canada are bracing for Hurricane Lee, preparing for storm surges and bad weather this weekend. The storm is moving toward the east coast and it's expected to make landfall by Saturday afternoon. The Category 1 storm is traveling with winds of 80 miles per hour. Parts of coastal New England and the Canadian province of Nova Scotia expect to see up to 4 inches of rain beginning tonight. The region is also getting ready for 20-foot waves. Parts of Maine are under a hurricane watch as boaters move their boats from the water. Along with potential flooding, strong winds could also knock out power lines. Hundreds of out-of-state utility workers poured into Maine amid fears of widespread power outages. The governors of Massachusetts and Maine declared an emergency in preparation for the storm. The Boston mayor says the city will have to be ready to deploy flood walls and sandbags if needed. Another House investigation into the Biden administration. The House Oversight Committee announced today it's launching a probe into the response to the Maui wildfires. In a letter to FEMA, lawmakers asked what steps FEMA is taking in Hawaii to avoid recovery issues. Committee Chairman James Comer said that the Biden administration failed to deliver an appropriate response when it mattered most. He went on to say the probe is, quote, to ensure locals are receiving the assistance they need and taxpayer dollars being used effectively. The president and CEO of Hawaiian Electric and other energy officials from Hawaii are also expected to testify before Congress in a separate probe. The first ever strike against Detroit's three largest automakers at the same time is taking place right now. President Joe Biden today siding with the union in a strike that could affect the nation's economy. NTD's Arian Pazdar has the details. For the union makes us Hell the United Auto Workers, or UAW, started the first ever simultaneous strike against Detroit's three largest automakers on Friday. The union's president made the announcement shortly before midnight, which is when the contracts between automakers and workers expired. For the first time in our history, we will strike all three of the big three at once. 
We are using a new strategy, the stand-up strike. The union wants 40% pay raises to compensate for soaring inflation. Automakers, which include General Motors, Ford and Stellantis, offered up to 20%, phased in over several years. The union declined. And President Biden on Friday siding with the union. Auto companies have uh, seen record profits, including the last few years, because of the extraordinary skill and sacrifices of the UAW workers. But those record profits have not been shared fairly, in my view, with those workers. Record corporate profits, which they have should be shared by record contracts for the UAW. Biden sent two of his top aides to Detroit to get involved in the negotiations. The president and CEO of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce said in a statement on Friday that the UAW strike, and indeed the summer of strikes, is the natural result of the Biden administration's whole-of-government approach to promoting unionization at all costs. A long strike threatens to spread economic turmoil. General Motors CEO Mary Barra says the strike could harm employees, their families and even the U.S. economy, saying for every General Motors job, there are six other jobs in the economy that depend on us running, so we've got to get back to work. Barra praised their offer to increase salaries by 20%, pointing out that the offer also includes world-class health care. Meanwhile, Ford has slammed the union's approach, saying they never came back with counter-offers. But supporters of the strike say employees need more to adjust to inflation. They're making record profits. It's about time to reward the very people for the reason they were even able to, again, survive, again, the Great Recession. About 13,000 employees have stopped working and are on strike at three plants in Michigan, Ohio and Missouri. The union has a strike fund of over $800 million, which can be used to pay the employees while they're absent. Arian Pastar, NTD News. X, formerly known as Twitter, handed over former President Trump's private direct messages to special counsel Jack Smith. Smith had obtained a secret warrant to get these messages as part of his investigation into Trump's challenge to the 2020 election. That's according to newly unsealed court filings. X tried to resist and didn't comply with the warrant initially, but a court fined at $350,000 for noncompliance. If X had delayed longer, the fine would have increased to $6 million in a week, $800 million in two weeks, and over $100 billion in three weeks. X ended up turning over only 32 messages. Prosecutors called it only a minuscule proportion of the total production. X's lawyers expressed concern that Trump might want to assert executive privilege over some of the messages in his account. And Smith is seeking a narrowly tailored gag order to limit the former president's public statements on this case. In court filings released less than an hour ago, the special counsel's office accused Trump of spreading disparaging and inflammatory public posts on Truth Social regarding the citizens of the District of Columbia, the court, prosecutors and prospective witnesses. It added that those statements undermine public confidence in the judicial system. A spokesperson for the Trump campaign responded to the filing, accusing President Biden and a weaponized DOJ of attempting to deprive President Trump of his First Amendment rights, calling it blatant election interference. Trump is currently the leading Republican candidate in the polls. And speaking of the heated race to the White House, Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis are set to clash at the same event. Who will be the ultimate choice for conservative voters?
NTD's Sam Wong brings us more. I'm here at the Prateville Stand Summit where several 2024 GOP presidential hopefuls are slated to speak. Right now, there's a huge crowd gathered behind me, so let's talk to some folks around me and see who will be their ultimate choice for the 2024 presidential election. Well, I still believe uh, President Trump would be the man. Uh, I prefer Trump, but uh, DeSantis, I, w I could certainly vote for DeSantis without any problem. Ron DeSantis, yeah. Love what President Trump did. I voted for him four years ago, but he's, he's a very divisive personality. The summit is hosted by evangelical think tank, the Family Research Council. Both former President Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will be speaking at the event. As for which one of the two is leading the race, a recent Fox News survey finds that public support for Trump is expanding. He is now standing at 60 percent, marking a 7 percent increase from the previous month. DeSantis, on the other hand, is trailing Trump at a mere 13 percent, a downtick since the GOP presidential debate. Speaking of debate, Sunshine State Republicans are deciding whether to require a loyalty pledge for all candidates attending an upcoming event in Florida. So what makes good leadership in the public's mind? I asked some folks, and here's what they said. DeSantis has, has a track record of bringing people together. I'm from Florida. I know a lot of people in Florida. Everybody in Florida loves him. Well, we need candidates who are willing to actually talk about the issues that are corroding the fabric of our nation from, from a cultural, from a moral perspective. As for more updates on the event, former President Trump will be speaking at 9 p.m. later tonight. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Sam Wong, NTD News. Texas AG Ken Paxton could be facing the end of his political career. Republicans in the Texas House say he abused his office. Now a state Senate jury must decide. NTD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has the latest. Suspended Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's political career is on the line. After a nine-day impeachment trial, a Senate jury has begun deliberations to decide whether he should remain in office. Before deliberations kicked off, attorneys for both sides gave closing statements. House manager Andrew Murr, a Republican, said Paxton's improper relationship with real estate tycoon Nate Paul interfered with his job and that the relationship caused his most trusted staff to blow the whistle on him. The travesty is that Mr. Paxton's desire to deliver results for Nate Paul eventually tore the office apart. It metastasized and overwhelmed the office. He repeatedly demanded that his top deputies act as Nate Paul's personal lawyers. Paul had accused state and federal agents of illegally obtaining a search warrant against him. Throughout Murr's closing arguments, he said Paxton refused to listen to staff warnings about Nate Paul because of his own distrust of federal law enforcement. But his failed judgment does not excuse his intentional abuse of office. He has betrayed us and the people of Texas, and if he's given the opportunity, he will continue to abuse the power given to him. The defense said Paxton was doing his job and the House didn't have any evidence against him. So what is this case about? It's about nothing. It's about nothing. He said this is a political trial. I would suggest to you this is a political witch hunt. I would suggest to you that this, has, this trial has displayed for the country to see a partisan fight within the Republican Party. Let's just call it for what it is. A Republican-led House in May overwhelmingly voted to adopt 20 articles of impeachment presented by a committee. 
The committee's report included accusations of bribery, retaliation against whistleblowers, and obstruction of justice. The Senate jury now must review 16 of the 20 articles of impeachment. They only need to convict Paxton on one article to remove him from office. If convicted, Paxton will be only the second Texas official removed from office in over 100 years. Tiffany? Tensions rose today in Manhattan over the in immigration crisis. Lawmakers tried to address the issue, but they were met with frustrated protesters. And it is Jason Perry was on the scene. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, along with other lawmakers, addressed the immigration crisis in New York City. But they were quickly disrupted by protesters shouting, close the border. Ocasio-Cortez continued speaking outside of Roosevelt Hotel in Manhattan, which has been used to process illegal immigrants. She called for more federal resources to help deal with the crisis and added this. And Representative Adriano Espaillat added this. A man in the crowd voiced his frustration to the lawmakers. How is that bringing unity to this nation when you're, take, when you're taking care of illegal immigrants over your own citizens? We spoke to some people in the area to see what they think is the solution to the migrant crisis. Close the border. Close the border. It's the only solution. Have them remain in Mexico like the policy was before. Why does my family member have to wait in Colombia when they file the legal petition and these people are right here on 45th Street? And another man voiced his concern. It's not right. You have to come through the, through the proper channels. There's people that are waiting to get here and they're skipping the line and they don't care. We don't know who these people are. They're not vetted. Many of my ex-girlfriends were from other countries. You know what I mean? So this is not about hate. And this man explained that it wasn't fair to the low-income families living in New York City. They have congestion pricing in the city where you're going to have to pay $20 to drive into Manhattan. How are the low-income families supposed to survive? How are we supposed to raise our kids while everyone gets everything for free? There's not two systems of justice in this country. We also heard from an immigrant who recently arrived in New York City. We never imagined, none of the immigrants, that we were going to be received like this. Nonetheless, I am grateful. Protesters and politicians both made their voices heard today. This is clearly an issue that will continue to demand national attention. Jason Perry, NTD News, New York. In Michigan, a jury today acquitted three men in connection to Governor Gretchen Whitmer's kidnapping plot. This likely concludes the trial over the kidnapping attempt that took place in October 2020. Eric Molitor, William Knoll, and Michael Knoll were each found not guilty. Prosecutors allege the men conducted surveillance of the governor's vacation cottage. In the whole case, ultimately, nine men were convicted or pleaded guilty in the case, and five were acquitted. Authorities have said the men were planning to kidnap the governor from her vacation home, but they were arrested first. Some of the defendants said that FBI undercover agents coerced them to drive the plot forward. Coming up, what's the evidence against President Biden in the impeachment inquiry? We'll go over the timeline with Ukraine, alleged bribes paid by Burisma and more, as the White House asks media companies to toe the line. 
two state bills could change the rights of students and parents in California. One wants to ban student suspensions and the other ban board meeting disruptions. And Beijing's latest purge of top-tier defense officials, what does the leadership shakeup mean for the Communist Party? More when we come back on NTD News. Welcome back. What's the evidence against President Biden in the impeachment inquiry? A key player has fallen out of the news cycle, Viktor Shokin. This was the Ukrainian prosecutor tasked with cleaning up corruption in the country until then Vice President Biden stepped in, calling for his removal. At the time, Shokin was reportedly investigating the energy company Burisma, where Hunter Biden was a board member. To go over the timeline, we spoke with an investigative journalist. Jeff Carlson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tiffany. Good to be here. And since this impeachment inquiry has been launched, several news outlets and pundits have been saying this is without evidence. Others say there's a lot of evidence. What evidence is there? You know, one of the big things that Democrats have been talking about is the fact that, the well, what they've really done is they've sort of capitulated. At first it was, you know, Joe Biden didn't talk to Hunter Biden. Then it was Joe Biden didn't talk to his business partners. Then it was okay, he talked to his business partners, but he didn't actually talk business. So we keep breaking down these doors. Now the new narrative is you can't trace the money directly going back to Joe Biden. Well, you pretty much can, and that's what this is all about. You know, it's not as if we're gonna have a check that's going to be written directly out to Joe Biden. We know that there was this use of 20 different plus shell uh, holding companies, shell companies, through which cash was passing through. We know that if you look at the Ukraine situation, you had this new prosecutor that was brought in, and despite what people say, he was absolutely investigating Burisma. You know, there was always this narrative that the IMF and the EU wanted Shokin gone. That's utterly false. Uh, we spent forever researching this and trying to find any evidence of either of those entities wanting Shokin out prior to Joe Biden announcing that he was going after Shokin, and it doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite. The State Department had said that Shokin had made enough progress that they were willing to free up the $1 billion in, in taxpayer guarantees. Um, some people say they're loans. They really weren't. They were taxpayer guarantees. But nevertheless, from Ukraine's perspective, it freed up one, an access to $1 billion. So Joe Biden actually altered U.S. official policy by suddenly deciding to withhold these funds to Ukraine because he was trying to get he was trying to place pressure on Poroshenko, the president of Ukraine, to remove Shokin. And it even gets a little bit worse from there because once Shokin was finally removed, they needed to make sure that they had the correct prosecutor in place that would close all the Burisma investigations. That took a couple months. And there was quite literally a phone call with Poroshenko the day after the new prosecutor was put in place, a guy named Yuri Litsenko. The day after he was put in place, Biden had a phone call with Poroshenko, and it was only then on that phone call that he agreed to finally release these funds, which were supposed to have been released in you know, December of the prior year, December of 2014. Those funds didn't get officially released until, I believe it's May 16th, of 2016, and they were tied to putting in the new prosecutor, and that new prosecutor 
was the one who closed the investigation into Burisma. And Jeff, I want to zoom in on that. So Democrats are now pushing back on this impeachment inquiry, saying that while Hunter Biden may have acted unethically, Joe Biden did not. He did not change any U.S. policy. You argue otherwise. So what policy did Joe Biden change? Just the withholding of those loans was an official change in our foreign policy. And it appears that it was being done in order to close down an investigation into an entity at which his son was on the board of directors, but more importantly than that, that they appear to have been further financially entwined in terms of you know, the news that we've been getting out regarding these, these sequences of two separate $5 million bribes, one to Joe Biden, one to Hunter Biden, all tied into getting this investigation removed. And it's important to note that Burisma was not above making bribes. The owner of Burisma managed to close a UK investigation uh, before Hunter actually came on board by doing exactly that. He paid the former prosecutor uh, he paid the former prosecutor's office a $7 million bribe to close an earlier investigation. You know, ultimately, this is part of another argument that we've been making is that it's impossible that Obama wasn't aware of this. You don't suddenly stop unilaterally uh, a major loan going through to Ukraine that had been in the works and then hold that loan up until the changes that you wanted to be made were actually effectuated. So ultimately, Obama had to be aware, at least after the fact, of what his vice president was doing. And zooming out a bit, these are just, this is just an impeachment inquiry, not yet articles of impeachment to be voted on. But the White House has already shot back. It's actually giving a statement to major news organizations on how to report on this, saying to scrutinize what the House Republicans are saying. What does it mean for our country when major news organizations are getting editorial guidance from the White House instead of reporting on it from a distance? I, you know, I, I obviously I saw that and was a little flabbergasted. We've known, I guess you in some ways could almost argue, hey, good, at least it's out in the open, because for years, the exact same thing has been going on behind the scenes. You know, how many times do you see one media organization, it usually comes downstream from the New York Times and Washington Post, but everybody picks up the narrative really pretty much at exactly the same moment. You know, we know that the White House was directing all the efforts at suppressing information on social media sites, Google, et cetera, behind the scenes. Same thing with COVID. Um, now they just seem to have given up any pretense and are literally putting that directive out there. What will be interesting, though, is that this one time that they are making an overt directive telling the news organizations what they want them to do, and, and so far they're mostly doing it, will they continue? Because there definitely seems to be a step back from Biden. You know, the other day we saw something that was unheard of. We saw CNN running a clip where they were putting up the number of times that Joe Biden had lied. We have David Ignatius writing in the Washington Post that Joe Biden shouldn't run again in 2024. So we're getting, um, you know, our theory has long been that Joe Biden is not ultimately going to be the nominee for 2024, that it's going to be somebody else, likely Gavin Newsom. And we're now seeing those cracks start to form. So, you know, I think it's, it's worthwhile noting for the audience that all this perceived protection around Joe Biden is, is less about protecting Joe Biden, but more about protecting sort of the establishment and the way the establishment does business. And I, you know, I think at this point, they're beginning to give up on Joe a little bit as these facts mount, as we started off discussing at the beginning of this episode. Um, Jeff Carlson, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Tiffany. Bye-bye. 
California is becoming a battleground on education and parental involvement. Two new state bills could change how classrooms are run and how parents participate. NTD's David Lamb reports. Two California bills could impact how classrooms and school board meetings are run if signed. The first is Senate Bill 274, introduced by Democratic Senator Nancy Skinner. The bill would ban schools from suspending students who disrupt class or defy teachers, known as willful defiance suspensions. The amendments taken in the Assembly extend the current sunset on willful defiance suspensions prohibition for middle school students and creates a sunset provision for this on high school students. The bill is received bipartisan support. And Skinner previously said suspensions lead to students dropping out of school at a time when many are still behind due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But people in opposition argue that the bill is almost like a license for the kids to misbehave, being detrimental to the learning of others in the classrooms. Eyes are 31, nose are 6. It passed the legislature and is now awaiting Governor Gavin Newsom's signature in the coming weeks. The second bill, Senate Bill 596, would make it a misdemeanor to harass school employees or disrupt school board meetings. It's also awaiting the governor's final decision. Introduced by Senator Anthony Portentino in February, individuals who harass school staff in verbal, written, or electronic communication may face up to $1,000 in fines and jail time. Critics say this bill silences parents and protects school employees from public criticism, not harassment. Governor Newsom has until October 14th to sign or veto bills this legislative year. David Lamb, Entity News, California. A shakeup in China's military leadership. The country's missing defense minister is reportedly getting investigated for corruption and may face removal. The news follows Beijing's unexplained replacement of its foreign minister and a reshuffling within China's nuclear missile unit. No word yet on these former officials' whereabouts from Beijing. How will the top-tier purges affect China's military decision-making? NTD's Juliet Song has the details. Another high-level Chinese official is missing. Making headlines this time is Chinese Defense Minister Li Shangfu. He disappeared from public view two weeks ago. On Friday, a reporter questioned Beijing on Li's whereabouts. I'm not aware of the situation you mentioned. Li's disappearance is piquing public interest, partly because high-level Chinese officials in Xi's cabinet have been disappearing one after another. The U.S. ambassador to Japan poked fun at the string of events on social media. Posting on X, formerly known as Twitter, he compared the missing officials to Agatha Christie's mystery novel, and then there were none saying, first, Foreign Minister Qingang goes missing, then the rocket force commanders goes missing, and now Defense Minister Li Shangfu hasn't been seen in public for two weeks. Who's going to win this unemployment race? Both China's foreign minister and rocket force commanders were ousted after disappearing for months. Li was last seen at the end of August, when he gave a speech at a security forum in Beijing. Li was set to meet with Vietnam defense leaders last week. But Vietnam officials say the meeting was canceled due to health conditions. Analysts say the phenomenon of missing officials hints at Beijing's opaque political system. Media reports say Li is under investigation for corruption, citing unnamed U.S. officials. 
NTD reached out to the State Department for comment but did not hear back before airtime. Washington slapped sanctions on Li in 2018 over China's purchase of Russian weapons. Juliet Song, NTD News. Coming up, will the United Auto Workers strike impact job security? We explore the impact on auto workers as the industry transitions from gas-powered cars to electric vehicles. The unprecedented strike is also bad news for potential car buyers. We take a look at how it might impact you. And Congress is looking to repeal California's ban on the sale of new gas-powered cars. Some say consumers have a right to choose. Others say the ban will help reduce pollution. Details on these stories and more when we return. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Hurricane Lee is expected to make landfall in the Canadian province of Nova Scotia Saturday afternoon. Parts of New England are also under hurricane watch and residents prepare for storm surges this weekend. 32 of former President Trump's private direct Twitter messages were handed to special counsel Jack Smith as part of Smith's investigation into Trump's efforts to dispute the 2020 election results. That's according to newly unsealed court filings. X, formerly known as Twitter, resisted producing the records at first, but was slapped with a hefty fine for noncompliance. Meanwhile, Smith is asking for a gag order against Trump in the same case. In Michigan, a jury today acquitted three men in connection to Governor Gretchen Whitmer's kidnapping plot. This likely concludes the trial over the kidnapping attempt that took place in October 2020. The United Auto Workers started the first-ever simultaneous strike against Detroit's three largest automakers. President Biden sides with the union, which demands 40 percent pay raises, while the companies offer 20 percent. And the strikers have a key demand, a, quote, just transition to electric vehicles or EVs. With more EVs and fewer gas-powered cars, many auto workers will lose their jobs. So what does a just transition look like? NTD's Dave Martin explains. The United Auto Workers want a just transition to electric vehicles. Key demand is job security. Many union members who make gas-powered cars will lose their jobs. So they want Ford, Stellantis, and General Motors to securely shift them into working on EV parts or even to pay them to do community service. The seismic transition from combustion engine vehicles to electric vehicles would hurt the workers extensively. A lot of these battery plants are for electric vehicles are in non-union states like Nevada like down in Georgia. And so because of that, that has taken away a lot of union jobs. Also, a lot of these components are built in other countries, which means obviously no union jobs. But if you look at the bigger picture of an electric vehicle, it uses 40% less people to assemble it because there's less moving parts. Lauren Fix is the founder of Car Coach Reports. She says the United Auto Workers would lose a large portion of its membership in the EV transition. All this despite the fact that it supports the transition. What they really should be asking for is for car manufacturers, and they need to push back on the federal government to say, we still need, you can do your electric vehicles, but we still need gasoline-powered, we still need diesel vehicles, because that's where the profits are. EV market share was at 7.1% 
for the first half of the year. Americans bought nearly 300,000 EVs during the second quarter, a 14% increase from the first quarter. This is Dave Martin for NTD News. For those in the market for a car, how will the strike impact you? We speak to NTD Business's Don Ma for what you need to know. Don Ma, thanks for joining us. Good to have you back on the show. Yeah, always great to be here, Tiffany. To begin, tell us what car buyers or consumers need to look out for. Right, Tiffany. So here's the most important thing. Uh, you'll still be able to shop for cars uh, even at Ford, GM, and Stellantis dealers uh, because car dealerships are independent of the companies. So not only will you still be able to shop for cars, the car dealerships still actually have uh, cars to sell for a while, it seems, because uh, most of those dealers have vehicles on hand to sell for weeks. Um, and, and the current strike plans will impact only some of the car makers' product lines. And the strike's impact will be nothing like the impact the pandemic had on the auto industry. Uh, meanwhile, some car dealerships have already started to make preparations weeks ago uh, when it looked to them that the, the strike was likely to happen. Uh, they stocked up, Tiffany. And so are we going to see cars getting more expensive or what's the potential fallout here? Yeah, potentially for some cars maybe, but for others, no, because not all automakers are facing a strike right now. Actually, not, not even most of them are facing a strike. Uh, for example, Toyota, BMW, Hyundai, Nissan, just to name some, um, they're still producing vehicles and their workers are not unionized. For now, at least the strikes are only confined to factories making uh, only a few specific models. Uh, but if the strike drags on a, a long time, prices will start to rise again. But, but even so, they probably won't reach the levels seen during the computer chip shortage uh, during the pandemic. And what about wait times? Are those going to get longer? Yeah, for some people, yes. Um, specifically, those car buyers who prefer to factory order their new vehicles uh, because strikes are hitting assembly plants, right? So if you're ordering a vehicle that hasn't been built yet, you could be waiting longer. But at the plants uh, where workers aren't out on strike, production will presumably continue. Uh, for now, the UAW has called strikes on three final assembly plants. Uh, that means this strike currently only impacts buyers shopping for those particular models. Um, so if you're in the market for, uh, for instance, a Ford Bronco, a Jeep Wrangler, or GMC Canyon pickup, you should probably get to the dealership soon before inventory start to uh, get really thin in a few, few weeks. Now, if the UAW calls strikes on plants that build things like engines and transmissions, that would be a bit more disruptive. And expanding on that, what should consumers do if there is a particular model that they just want, but it's not available? Well, if that's the case, there wouldn't be a lot of options. Uh, but what what I can say is that it pays to be flexible, right? Uh, dealers still have vehicles to sell for a few weeks, but uh, the strikes uh, could go on for a bit, uh, potentially. And when that happens, the choices available will start to dwindle. And as the options, as the options dwindle, uh, consumers may have to make some compromises. Well, Don Ma, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Speaking of cars, California may not be allowed to implement its zero-emission vehicle mandate. House lawmakers voted to strike it down, and it wasn't just the Republican majority. Eight Democrats agreed. NTD's Jason Blair has the latest. 
The Preserving Choice in Vehicle Purchases Act passed the House on Thursday with a near-party-line vote. The legislation seeks to void regulations in California that would ban the sale of new gasoline-powered vehicles by 2035 in order to fight climate change. The mainly Republican supporters said that California's mandate will have negative economic effects and intrudes on consumers' ability to choose a car that best fits their needs. The mainly Democrat opponents argued that the mandate is needed to combat climate change and reduce pollution, saying the transportation sector is a major contributor to greenhouse gases. Americans can make consumer choices based on their merits and needs, not radical mandates rooted in trying to force Green New Deal directives on families. This bill disregards over 50 years of precedent, erasing decades of progress made by states to protect Americans from dangerous air pollution. According to Representative Cole, eight other states have already followed suit with California's mandate with more in line to follow. Reporting in California, Jason Blair, NTD News. Coming up, the Alabama Crimson Tide are reportedly making a major change at quarterback following last week's surprising loss to Texas. And researchers in California want to better understand and protect an endangered species of shark. The scientists remain hopeful despite the decreasing population. We'll have details when we come back. Welcome back, and now for your sports news, here's NTD's Dave Martin with a surprising development from last week's World Cup. That's right, Tiff. Team USA men's basketball is now back to number one in the FIBA World Rankings, despite finishing fourth at the World Cup last week. The Americans moved past Spain to regain the top spot after relinquishing it last November to the Spaniards after a dozen years leading the world. Spain dropped to second, while Germany, which won the World Cup, jumped from 8th to 3rd. The FIBA rankings are updated every few months and take into account the most recent eight years of results. And in college football news, the Alabama Crimson Tide are making a change at quarterback following their loss to Texas. ESPN is reporting that Tyler Buckner, a sophomore transfer from Notre Dame, will get the start over Jalen Milrow when they play at South Florida on Saturday. Milrow, also a sophomore, started the first two games of the season, but threw a pair of interceptions in Alabama's loss to Texas last Saturday. Buckner started Notre Dame's first two games last year before getting injured, though he returned for their bowl victory over South Carolina. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, all 30 baseball teams are in action, and that includes a crucial AL East matchup between the first place Baltimore Orioles and the second place Tampa Bay Rays, with just one game separating the two teams. And in college football this weekend, no games between top 25 opponents, though there are some intriguing matchups, including in-state rivals Colorado, Colorado State, old rivals Missouri, Kansas State, academic rivals Northwestern Duke, future Big Ten rivals Washington, Michigan State, and current SEC rivals Florida, Tennessee. Finally, in the NFL Sunday, 13 games are on tap, including a Chiefs team looking to get their first win of the season over a young and talented Jacksonville squad. And that's it for your sports news today. Tiff, back to you. 
there's an endangered species of sharks caring for their young in San Francisco Bay. A marine expert is studying them and spearheading the research to better understand and protect them. With summer in full swing in the San Francisco Bay, Megan Holtz gets out on the water as often as she can. Motoring through tides on frequently foggy early mornings, she and a small crew of researchers navigate to their secret fishing spots to drop anchor, put salmon on hooks, and cast their lines into the bay for their beloved subject, the broad-nosed seven-gill shark. Fish on! This is the only population that we know of that is putting all of their pups in one location in this nursery ground. Now that can be fine, except that uh, they're literally putting all their eggs in one basket. So if something happens to San Francisco Bay, then we might lose an entire cohort of, of these seven-gill juveniles. The 31-year-old PhD candidate at UC Davis focuses on the broad-nosed seven-gill, which, as its name suggests, has seven pairs of gill slits as opposed to five on most other sharks. Holst said the Bay Area offers a protected habitat with lots of food resources. The apex predator can also be found across the globe, including New Zealand, South Africa, and Argentina. I landed on studying seven-gill sharks because I had a lot of questions and there wasn't as many answers as I was hoping for in the literature when I went to go research them. And that's just part of the scientific process when you are curious about something and there's not enough information about it. The coolest part about our jobs is that we get to go find the answers to our questions. Scientists are unsure of the species population numbers, though the International Union for Conservation of Nature describes the species as vulnerable and says the population trend is decreasing based on the last assessment. Hulse said in a recent outing this summer, numbers were promising, despite concerns that record rainfall in California this winter and subsequent freshwater runoff into the bay may have affected the ecosystem, including salinity levels. You know you have a healthy ecosystem when you see sharks. Sharks are a really great sign for a healthy, sustainable ecosystem, and they are what keeps our ecosystem in check. Uh, but it's hard to say whether or not their actual presence means that things are good in San Francisco Bay. That's going to take a lot more analysis of looking at the blood that we took today, looking at the muscle biopsies that we got, um, seeing what their toxic contamination levels are, and um, seeing what other threats they might be facing while they're here. Once the sharks are pulled on board, the team collects blood samples to help look at toxic contamination in the water, muscle biopsy samples to examine the shark's role in the food chain, fin clips for genetic analysis, and length and girth measurements to estimate the age. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. That's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.